and welcome back to the Vichipedia podcast after a bit of an extended vacation, but for good reason. Since we last met, I've been finishing up my Fulbright Fellowship in Ukraine and researching, writing, and lecturing a lot about disinformation, which is, strangely enough, the topic of today's podcast. We will be joined by the leading expert on Czech and Slovak disinformation, Ivana Smolyanova of the Prague Security Studies Institute, and Margot Gantar, co-founder of Stop Fake. And she is fresh from discussions from the National Democratic Institute, Stanford, and Atlantic Council's Disinfo Week. But before we dive into two fascinating interviews by two of the anti-disinformation world's fierce lady leaders, I want to talk a little bit about the depth and breadth of the disinformation crisis, and I want to do it by telling you a story. A few weeks ago, I attended a conference sponsored by the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe's Representative for Media Freedom. The topic was media freedom in volatile environments. So, given the OSCE's member states and ongoing threats to journalists across the Eastern Europe and Eurasia regions, it focused a lot on Ukraine and Russia. Russia's representative at the conference began by the opening plenary by bemoaning the ills of fake news. According to him, they were propagated by the likes of the EU's disinformation unit. And he called upon all in attendance to come together to define this menace so that we might cooperate to eliminate it. Unfortunately, this is the standard diplomatic fare that we've come to expect from Russia's disinformation-laced performances at meetings of international organizations. But something strange happened when journalists and civil society representatives in attendance took the floor. It seemed that every other participant was offended at how the West was, quote, misinformed on the Russian media environment. A representative of the Union of Journalists in the illegally occupied city of Sevastopol, Crimea, described his fulfilling career on the peninsula and asserted that no journalists were at risk of arrest or disappearance there and even cordially invited everyone to visit him there to see for themselves. At the closing plenary, he gave the organizers of the conference an oil painting after waxing poetic about the Russian spring in his hometown. I kid you not. Realizing that this was a particular form of Russian disinformation, I decided to call it like I saw it at the closing plenary. Here's a recording of my speech. Thank you very much. Uh, my name is Nina Yankovic, and for the past 10 months, I have been a Fulbright-Clinton public policy fellow researching disinformation, in particular Russian disinformation in Ukraine. Um, and in my research, when I describe the crisis that has erupted over the past several years, I prefer to use the term disinformation rather than fake news, information war, propaganda, any of the other terms that we've heard over the past two days. Why? Because disinformation does not just encompass fake news stories, doctored photographs, or coordinated social media campaigns. It is any activity that sows distrust, doubt, or discontent. And with this in mind, let me say something that I hope many of us here have been thinking over the past two days, and that is that much of the commentary that we've heard from Russian government officials, uh, media, and so-called civil society organizations is part of Russia's robust and long-running disinformation campaign. We've all come here 
to Vienna in hope of a dialogue about issues that ought to be universally important to everyone here. But uh, these organizations, these individuals, have come here with eloquently prepared statements that question the very purpose of this conference. Uh, there is no crisis of freedom of the media in Crimea, they tell us, that Russia has not targeted journalists for their work exposing the Kremlin's destructive behavior. And fake news, well, our colleagues from Russia are not sure that it exists and think we need to define it more concretely before we talk about solving the problem. Well, if there's no crisis of the media or any other freedoms in Crimea, why then does the Russian government block international organizations, including the very body that sponsored this conference, from mounting an international monitoring mission to the peninsula? And if journalists are not targeted, why do they keep disappearing? And as for a definition of fake news, I can tell you from personal experience that I've read countless definitions over the course of my own research, and they all coalesce around one idea. Russia is behind much of the fake news campaigning we've witnessed over the past several years. So perhaps the problem isn't that we lack a definition, but that Russia finds the agreed-upon definition inconvenient. That being said, I hope that leaving here today, participants have not let this disinformation-saturated debate change their commitment to combating the problem, both in their home countries and in the OSCE region at large. Thank you. At the end there, you can hear the chair say, that was a statement. <laughs> Oops. But this is serious. So as you listen to these interviews with Ivana and Marco, recall the magnitude of the problem that we're dealing with. This isn't just about fake news. It's a problem that reaches much farther beyond that, to every individual affecting us on a psychological level. Which is why every time the President of the United States calls upstanding media organizations that cover him harshly, quote, fake, we retreat a little farther from a popular understanding of what is real. Leaders like Trump are knowingly manipulating democratic discourse and stalling progress, plunging us further into what many are calling a post-truth environment. Here's the truth. The truth still exists, and it's our duty to tell it, despite those who try to distort reality. When fake news becomes fake news, it's easy to throw up our hands, decry the lack of common ground between ourselves and its purveyors, and retreat even further into our social media bubbles. But when the President of the United States himself is engaged in disinformation, and his administration is unlikely to mount a robust response anytime soon, we're all we've got. Luckily, between Ivana, Marco, and me, we have a few solutions. Enjoy. Um, so Ivana, tell us, how did you get involved in this fairly niche field of disinformation studies? Well, that's a good question. I've been, I've been fascinated by the topic for years, you know. I mean, it's an issue of national security, but it's also based on psychology or it's got aspects of psychology and sociology, which make it really complex and interesting and, and, and fascinating. And when the whole thing of 2014, the annexation of Crimea and the war in Donbass happened, then suddenly you had, you, we needed more attention to the topic. And then I started to like analyze, to write about it, to do research on it a lot. I published the first study on this topic in the region at that time. It was like focusing on the 
sources of disinformation in Czech Republic and Slovakia. Mm-hmm. And so tell us a little bit about uh, more about that. I know there's a lot of illicit money going in and out of the country. We're not sure quite where it's coming from, but for people who maybe don't pay t- a lot of attention to these countries in Central mm-hmm. Europe, what what do they need to know about Russian disinformation there? Uh, so I myself, I focus on both Czech Republic and Slovakia because mm-hmm. I actually I'm originally I'm Slovak, but uh, I, I, I lived and worked for a long time in, in Prague, in Czech Republic, so I'm focusing on the both. And actually the phenomenon itself is quite uh, similar in bo- both countries. Mm. You have a big number of uh, disinformation websites that we have in both countries. It might be, like, the estimates it's around, like, 100 websites in both countries that are spreading uh, pro-Russian and anti-Western narratives and, and conspiracy theories, fake news. Uh, many of them were actually founded before the 2014. So to, even even 2012, some of them 2011, mm-hmm. 2013. And who are they targeting in particular? Uh, well, I mean, you the consp- I mean, it depends. There's nothing like a typical website. I mm-hmm. mean, each of them is a little bit different, you yeah. know. So it's not like all are the same. You know, some are more just pure conspiracy websites. Some of them are more like alternative point of view or like alternative uh, uh, media or like alternative opinions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, some of them before they were more focused on like people uh, that don't believe in vaccinations. Some of them were more mm-hmm. about like people who likes gardening. <laughs> and then suddenly in 2014, they turn into this like anti-Western, strongly anti-Western and pro-Russian voices. So mm-hmm. it was definitely, 2000 was 2014 was definitely a turning point. Mm. Their like suddenly, mm-hmm. some of them even resembled a, a sleeping cells, and then in 2014 they became very active. Mm. And then when the the immigration crisis came in 2015, the summer of 2015, then suddenly they started exploiting the uh, the, the immigration crisis. Mm-hmm. And then once you start to like you, you bring the the threat uh, from Ukraine directly to your home, you know, because, like, they talked about terrorists attacking your home or, or raping your children, then it became very effective. Mm-hmm. But because one, once you start exploiting people's emotions, mm-hmm. people stop listening to arguments. Yeah, yeah. And and I, is it as a result that both countries have, haven't taken any immigrants or any refugees, really, have they? No, um, yeah. no. This is the thing. Like it, most of the people has, who are against immigrants has never seen any. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And are they finding? Are these websites just still kind of fringe, or do they find a lot of popularity among among Czechs and Slovaks? You gotta understand. Well, like I mean, we need to remind ourselves. Like conspiracy believers has been here always, mm-hmm. even before all this phenomenon became. Uh, or like started. Uh, I think in 2006 they did the opinion poll in the United States, United States how many people believe in 9-11 conspiracy mm-hmm. theories. It was around like 30% of the population. In Europe it was the similar number. Wow. So you have this, like you have this in your society, people who like to believe in alternative opinions. Yeah. The problem is when this phenomenon, when this kind of people... Uh, which before were believing all kinds of different fringe opinions, when you start, suddenly you give them one narrative to follow. Mm-hmm. So then it can be used or manip- exploited politically. Mm-hmm. And that, that's what happened. Like suddenly you have this 
some part of the society having basically the same enemy or like one enemy. Right. So, so they're exploiting people's fears. Is there anything in the disinformation in, in Czech Republic and Slovakia that is purely pro-Russian? Do you find that at all? Yeah, you can see the narrative there, mm-hmm. definitely. I mean, it's there, but... Uh, so the Putin is, is portrayed as, as, you know, a defender of the traditional values, mm-hmm. even if, if mm-hmm. he's not. Then you have the Russia, you know, sometimes they say Russia is not perfect, but it's still better than the bad West. Mm. Uh, but more than anti-Russian, I think they're, uh, more than pro-Russian, they're more anti-Western. Yeah, absolutely. So so the, the main goal is, is, to, is not to to propagate something. That's why I don't like to call it propaganda. It's mm-hmm. not to propagate some ideology or right. a country. Absolutely. It's more about to attack yeah. uh, something. Yeah, I totally agree with you on that. And it's it's working, I think. There was a poll that came out that IRI did yeah. uh, just this week yeah. um, that showed the amount of people that think the EU is attacking Western values in, in yeah. the four Central European countries. It's just off the charts. It's crazy to look at it. Absolutely. I think what they were able to exploit is like this propaganda or like these information campaigns. It, it, it happened in a bad times mm-hmm. in the West. You know, mm-hmm. you have all kinds of like you have uh, financial crises, you have uh, crisis of elites, you have still, I mean, people are losing trust in, 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 in institutions, in democracy. And then you have this like situation which is not like the West is in a bad situation, and then you have somebody stepping in and using it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and it's it's pretty targeted not only in Czech Republic and Slovakia but across uh, Eastern Europe for each different breakage of trust that you might see. Right? It's different, nar- slightly different narratives. Absolutely, in each country. and this is why it's so hard to counter central on a centralized level. Yeah, from because. What, what Russia is very good at, and not just Russia, I mean, like anybody who wants to exploit it, they need to read their audience. Mm. And the audience is different in each country. Yeah. So they use different weaknesses in Poland, they use different weaknesses in, in Slovakia, in Czech Republic, in Donbass. Like each audience is different, and you, you need to adjust it to the mm-hmm. audience mm-hmm. to make it really effective. Yeah. And that's what they've, what they've been really good at. Mm-hmm. So that's a great segue then. What can the West do? It seems like such a big problem. And, you know, I've, we've both thought about this a lot. Uh, there's a lot of people working on this right now. But if you had to prescribe one magic wand uh, solution to the problem, what would it be? Well, I'm, well unfortunately, there's no one solution mm-hmm. to the problem. There's no one initiative or project that you could support and it will solve the problem. No, it's too complex. Like, I mean, it... it inf- Influence or like it, it, it exploits so many parts of our society mm-hmm. that the response needs to come from each part of the society. Mm-hmm. So it needs to come from politician, it needs to come from media, it needs to come from civil society, from our educational system. Like everybody's got its share of responsibility. Every like you, you can't just support one great educational project. You should do it, but. In addition to it, you should do like hundred other things. Mm-hmm. And and what does that mean for governments that have a hard time coordinating, even within their own government, let alone on an international scale, like so many of of the people working on this problem are trying to do? Well, I think the governments they need to, I mean, reflect on their own uh, <laughs> <laughs> shortcomings. I mean, absolutely, I yeah. mean, because you see, for example, in Slovakia, you have 
huge problem with corruption. You are, and people are losing trust in, in, the, in the mainstream parties. Mm -hmm. In this kind of situation, when people are losing trust, then it's easy. And not just Russia, not just pro-Russian disinformation campaigns, but also extremists in Slovakia, mm -hmm. they were able to exploit this. Mm -hmm. And so a year ago, uh, neo-Nazi extremist party entered parliament, you know. Wow. Wow. With eight percent now, they're at eleven, and they're mm. they're they're uh, predicted to be growing. Mm. So it's not just about Russia. Yeah, well, and and that's one of the main challenges I think that government communicators face, at least the that I've observed in my time in Ukraine. And it's not just Ukraine; every government faces this problem. Is that in order to maintain the trust of the people, you actually need to deliver on promises. And when they have so many misgivings, like you said, in a poor economic situation, mm -hmm. in um, a situation where they they see a threat coming mm -hmm. from immigrants or refugees, and think about people stealing their jobs, whether that's true or not. And of course, all of this is um, uh, manipulated by, by the Russian disinformation, um, then governments have a tougher job because even when they are doing a good job, it's, it's hard for them to communicate that. Yeah, absolutely. On one hand, they, they need to deliver, you yeah, know, they're yeah. like, because if people... These, these breakages exist yeah, for a reason, yeah. absolutely. If people feel that they're threatened, that the means, like the government, needs to make them feel they are safe. That this is the role of the government. Mm -hmm. Civil society or media cannot substitute this role. It's mm -hmm. the government who is supposed to protect the citizens, mm -hmm. and they need to feel it. They need to see the results. They need to uh, understand what the government is doing and what is their role in the society. Mm -hmm. So it's really. Many things needs to be improved. A communication strategy as well. Yeah, and what about the media? Is there anything, any one thing media can do? Oh, I mean, I mean, media itself's got a big role. I mean, uh, they are the ones who are usually investigating who is behind it, who is mm -hmm. funding those websites, for mm -hmm. example. And this, 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 this is what they're good at. Yeah. So the, um, you need to support investigative journalism. For yeah, and maybe pay for. <laughs> and maybe <laughs> pay for the media. That's that's another thing. Like uh, I think media's got a hard time. Now. Yeah, and that's another another thing you can exploit because now they're underfunded. They don't have the resources to do the investigative mm -hmm. journalism to, to check their sources. Mm -hmm. So they're doing mistakes. Then people are losing their trust. So we're more likely to publish sensationalist items Absolutely. because they get more clicks. Yeah, yeah. Is there a role for normal people, for good citizens of the world who want to do their part in fighting disinformation? Absolutely. I think it's an ability of each of us to, to contribute. Mm. Uh, if you want to counter the problem first, you should think twice before you share something on social media, yeah. for example. You should not... You should read the whole thing, too. Absolutely. <laughs> you, should, you should think about like who's behind and who's writing something, you know? Yeah. Because today, anybody can start a website and mm -hmm. call itself uh, alternative media. Mm -hmm. But is there really an editorial board behind it? Is there What is the intention behind it, you know? Mm -hmm. So we need to start thinking about, like, what is behind the article, the whole structure, you know? Mm -hmm. Then uh, each of us got, in our families or in our surroundings, we have a, we know some person who's, like, believing in conspiracy theories. I call this the crazy uncle phenomenon. Absolutely. <laughs> And then we also need to learn how to approach some people. Yeah. Like if you just wanna, it's about how you approach people. If you if you just coming with the confrontation to to the to the argument, or it's mm -hmm. like if you are calling them useful idiots or Russian trolls, you right on the spot you shut the discussion. Mm -hmm. You know, you need to have more understanding and try to like convince people with calm, without arguing. You know, so it's also about like. Uh, our own 
psychology or psychotherapy maybe how, how you talk to these people yeah well and that's really hard especially in my own country right now with how divided we've become but it's a good reminder that everyone has a part to play and yeah absolutely and one of the most worrying trends for me right now in the societies around the whole western europe or us is like how people are getting more and more polarized mm. how you have uh, increasingly people they're either strongly against something or pro something there's nothing in between mm. and people increasingly cannot really talk to each other and this is the most worrying trend mm -hmm. one of the most But I think you're an optimist at heart. You think the problem is, is solvable. It's solvable. I'm an optimist because I think West is actually much better in advancing than the other side. Mm. I think the other side is getting more and more predictable. You could see it with French election. Mm -hmm. You could see it in... in is people start to understand how, how the disinformation, for example, is working. Yeah. While the other side just got the same weapons basically mm -hmm. so I'm optimist but we have a lot of homework to do <laughs> and on that note we will call it a night thank you so much for joining us well thank you for inviting me and again. we will make sure to put a link to Ivana's work in the show notes All right, so I am here with Margot Gantar, who is the co-founder of Stop Fake News, which has been in Ukraine uh, now for more than three years. And Margot, we're not going to go over the, the long and storied history of Stop Fake, uh, but I'll put some links in the show notes for folks who are interested. Um, but I'm wondering, can you just bring us up to speed about what are the trends you're seeing in disinformation in, uh, in Ukraine today from Russia? Okay, I will do. So, thank you for inviting me. Of course. And, uh, yeah, so on trends, I say that we kind of see only more fakes, not less. Mm -hmm. And um, we see them being a bit more sophisticated mm -hmm. in terms that when we started, we had this fake news which you can just take and just say this fake and just your job is done. Mm -hmm. While now we have all these stories which have this manipulated context. So mm -hmm. basically, the events might have happened and people could have said what they said, mm -hmm. but uh, what it means depends on the context, which is we, we try to, you know, to get people to understand. So even though it's manipulated and true, so you still need time to check it and people still need time to get through it. So mm -hmm. it's a bit harder. And the other thing which is important to notify, and like this is actually a threatening thing, that the they, by they I mean um, some programming media or even uh, official institutions like foreign ministry of mm -hmm. Russia, they actually take the fact-checking, like I'd say methods, mm. so so they use their debunking of fakes to still get in, in the game and, and, and spread some disinformation. And so Russian, minist Russian um, uh, foreign ministry have this um, checking the fakes about Russia, they say yeah, on the right. side. And uh, the RT, Rush Today, have this on the side, it's called fake check. Yeah. So they, I think to be like abstract about this, they told that they need to, you know, set the record straight if for say Washington Post will will spread some face. I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah, Washington Post is actually to do this. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and uh, some other examples, and um, and even in the stories of other media, they put like refutement on the story mm. sometimes, but it's done, you know, in the very very low like paragraph of the article. So, mm -hmm. but the title, the body is still the same. So, this is. Um, 
you know, at least like you deal with some kind of um, some kind of virus which actually is mutating and just eats up everything you throw in it. Yeah. And uh, just like, okay, you have some new thing coming up, just just give it to us. And just mm-hmm. they still use it to to do what they do. Yeah, and it's becoming now they're faking fakes. Yeah, well, fakes are fakes. And where do you stand? And actually, we're seeing this in the United States, uh, even even with our own president nowadays calling uh, the what he calls the mainstream media fake news. Um, some some very respected journalists and networks and newspapers uh, being called fakes, which just serves the whole point of adding to more confusion uh, and, and making your job harder, I might add. Yes, and, and more needed, I suppose. But uh, the, this is why uh, I kind of agree with colleagues who say that, like, saying fake news is... Uh, as a, a demeaning of the journalism of fake mm-hmm. news, like news itself. So um, I like like your Oxford experts call it junk news. Mm. Especially, it, it's actually so as well in terms that you know have it. It's not. It's not always fake. Fake. It yeah, might be you know just manipulated and twisted. But yeah. still, uh, you you might deal with some fact that happened. And uh, the other thing which I even like more, it's called like information influence. Mm. And I think this is more appropriate in what we deal with now because uh, when we actually say fake news, most of us mean not just news in a, in a, in a media, but also what appear in social networks yeah. and also what is happening with the elections. In terms that yeah. this is not, not, not in terms of being rigged, but uh, in terms of this, um, even some twisted information which is provided so that those are people who will uh, vote later. They mm-hmm. are actually having this not exactly truth information they might base their thoughts on. Mm-hmm. And all of it, I think, falls, falls better in this information influence context. But yeah, it's certainly done uh, on a purpose to confuse, mm-hmm. not to make you believe any of these versions. And even using fake news against news, I think also serves this point. So this is precisely what I mean, but, you know, taking it in and throwing it out. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, you say we have fake news or something, like we say you fake news. And so like, what you say on that? And you just kind yeah. of, uh, okay, this is why we try to put it like information influence because saying fake news, it also takes us away from the main point because mm-hmm. the main point is that information and, and media who are providing information, right? Uh, so it's used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. And weapon is to confuse and to give you either not true information so you are distracted, you don't have things to put it, to, to like, you know, to act on, mm-hmm. or to make you apathetic. Mm-hmm. So basically give, you know, create this impression that nothing is sat on, you don't know, you will not be able to get the true information mm-hmm. or who done that. So get this feeling like they just do something and I'm not able to influence anything. Yeah. So how it, I was told it kind of have, might have this impact in on West. Mm-hmm. So, so this is it. Yeah. And so it's a weapon. How, how big of a threat is this weapon to the world? How worried should we be about it? Well, I think we should be a hell of a worried. <laughs> <laughs> so I think much more than, uh, we are worried right now. So, like, yeah, we in Ukraine are kind of worried, but uh, I think it's still 
there is a good there are good things like seeing that this topic is being considered and 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 you know, brought up in the conferences on a much bigger level than mm-hmm. and scale that we saw three years ago. So we kind of needed to explain why it's a threat three years ago. Yeah. Now we don't need to. I mean, like even in Stanford where where I'm was last last week. So it was not a topic of discussion whether it is or not a threat. Right. right? Like it was the next. Uh, level discussion so like what we should do with this mm-hmm. what tendencies you see like any any ideas anyone so mm-hmm. this is the next step but uh, it's still not like marginalized but I think it's still a topic which professionals discuss while I think the level of a threat is actually the same as climate change or something so mm-hmm. be, I think it should be considered and understood as a threat on a all governmental and people's level because mm-hmm. because everyone because basically what is happening is that internet provided these tools to make it not just uh, war against people coming from the governments it provided a tool to make it war against each and every one of us mm. and so all of us just sitting with our smartphones and PCs and we are being targeted by all this media around us, yeah. whether they do it on a purpose of benefits or like this, you know, secret main goal they have, or just because of the money, but yeah. still they might provide you with this untrue information. And each of us is a, I'd say, credible source for someone. So some mm-hmm. might, someone might think we're authority for them, yeah. and so we influence anyone, like whether it's on a, our Facebook page, mm-hmm. Twitter, or maybe just a kitchen. And so it means the virus being spread if someone doesn't check it. Mm-hmm. And it's not the place where government can come and say, or like, you know, some media this, this is wrong because sometimes something might still slip. Mm-hmm. And how do we get people to care then? Well, by continuously saying to, to like to bring this topic to attention, I think that might help mm-hmm. to more to educating people on the topic. So mm-hmm. bringing bringing it through whether it's like you know media literacy workshops whether it's uh, and this is important and many countries think of that to to bring it into you know school mm-hmm. school education problem starting mm-hmm. from the grad school so bring it to the universities so just bring this into like usual people's landscape mm-hmm. as well as bringing some logic you know some philosophical concepts <laughs> This is the Russians in my stove. And and yeah, and uh, so bringing it into the this usual landscape, so it will not be some you know just awkward question. It will be just the usual thing. We, like we have mathematics, and we have you know the how we deal with media, and we have how we deal with information. Something. So we can do it. We can do it with uh, with media literacy. But but what about um, what do you think? Is there a role for social media companies to play in this, or should they be playing any? Oh, this any is role? yeah. This is. In Stanford, there were a few representatives of like Twitter, oh, Facebook, sure, yeah. yeah, and then Google, and they had all these talks what we, they can do. But this is still a tough thing because even they said that this is actually a tough in, sometimes to you know get to understand like some detailed information on the users. So um, we had a lot of talks again about the education mm. that can be provided, but it's still I think on this you, 
we, we still need to discuss more mm. and ask like all the representatives what what they think can be done. And, yeah. and again, it's all collides with this question of personal freedom and like how far something can can go. But uh, I think what is important on on this is that, and again, we have talks on this as well with colleagues that we have all these. Um, all these rules dependent on the society but mostly in the modern world we have them on like how far you can go with some material things right with like how, how far you can actually abuse another person yeah. and another's freedom when it's physical and when this is you have the, some objects mm-hmm. you, you abuse and which are engaging on this but we have no real rules in terms of information space mm-hmm. we have just a blank space there and basically everything was said to be uh, um, normal because it's just a freedom of speech and you can say whatever you want. But this is what we have now, that um, someone came to this party while everyone was having fun and mm-hmm. was understandable which has freedom mm-hmm. and they just took this as a weakness and are using this against us, basically taking the values we have against the values we have. Mm-hmm. And and the only way we can actually like deal with it is basically to to deal with these values we have, maybe even not diminish them but change them. This yeah. is like that was said by Svetlana Zolishuk um, mm. and Stanford. So I really love the way she puts it. And uh, and that's a Ukrainian MP for those who don't know. Thank yes. you. Yes. And uh, but this is the problem here. So we we democracy didn't have any kind of you know tips on that. Yeah. Because yeah. when democracy started, we didn't have was, the internet. Yes. Thank you. This is yeah. and there were a few other things we didn't have, but yeah. internet is the main thing here. So this is why. I, I think the other thing which needs to be understood, as well as journalism, needs to be kind of reinvented. Mm. So, and I think some things should be, you know, we, we, we need to, I think, discuss such things as, you know, like neutrality. And mm-hmm. he said, she said, journalism. We had a lot of these talks, like, you know, the journalists need to be neutral or something. Yeah. But I say, yes, but here are all these Brooklyn media, which bring so much emotions in this. Yeah. You cannot overlook that. And like, it's not even a question of truth anymore. It's mm-hmm. a question of production. I mean, like, if you have so many players who use it, yeah, it's hard to be in the contest with them. Well, of course, that's how we lost the upper hand, I would say, in the Ukraine conflict, um, because uh, besides people and groups like Stop Fake, um, so many journalists were reporting on Ukraine as if there were two sides to this story, when in fact, Russia... Uh, violated international law and invaded a sovereign country and annexed its territory and they were trying to go and interview the other side. I'm sorry, in that case, I don't think we should be interviewing the other side and getting their opinion. I really like I really like the way the newsroom series puts mm. it and that is one, one episode when the producer uh, saying like how many asking interns, like people she starts to work with, like how many sides we might have in the story and mm. someone's like two sides and she's saying no we might have one we might have five mm. it's not decided that we have only two sides in the in, mm. in the story so mm. we actually might have one so this is I think the, the best way to to express it and this is actually American TV series but um yeah <laughs> well too bad that we seem to be, be going far away from that yeah. so, alright one final question before we let you go how do you judge our, our global response to disinformation and uh, information influence so far well 
like in Ukraine, um, it I, I feel it, it feels sometimes that it's been a bit slow. Mm. But really, you guys are the leaders. <laughs> no, 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 not not our. Ah, I mean, from, like, Ukraine, from Ukraine, from Ukraine. Ukraine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So got it. it feels like like all our like side partner countries mm-hmm. they're like reacting a bit slow, slower than we wanted them to react. Mm. But on the other hand, uh, it might be because we are so close to this, you know, the eye of the storm. So it actually so obvious to us. And it might be not so obvious for, for others who are far away from that. It's not their personal problem. And um, on the other hand, I think, like, in the end, we still have people talking about this and talking about Ukraine and bringing up the question. And actually, even though we have the situation we have, like, as a consequence of everyone's act, still we have the Crimea not being uh, accepted as mm-hmm. as uh, nothing but annexation, and mm-hmm. we have the still the question of Donbas being brought in by other countries, and and I think this is a success anyway. And Russia is not being um, the actions Russia is doing is not being agreed as normal by society. Mm-hmm. So uh, this this on this side and that question of fakeness is actually becoming the mainstream so big media talking about this all over the world even I think in Taiwan I think this wow. yeah so we have it so do you think it would have happened if Russia had not interfered in the 2016 election well <laughs> I, think, I know that's a hard I, question I think, it doesn't matter too much but I'm just I think, interested I think I think yes but it, I think it's a question of speed yeah so I think uh, I think it will it um I think it eventually be- become a uh, uh, part of a narrative, but the question is how how fast it could have been happening. Yeah. So I think um, what we see now is everyone becoming more active part of this process of trying to do with it, uh, like in a, in a, in a, as a result of being engaged or affected mm-hmm. with the problem itself. So we see each of country becoming like. Uh, are uh, like partner in this when they have like seen the real results, mm-hmm. not just us saying this is like actually a kind of a problem, guys. Yeah. So now, now they come into us and say, "Whoa, this is a problem." Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we kind of told you three years ago, but uh, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of there is uh, some some you know all this thought that yeah, it could have been faster. But in the in the end of the day, I'm happy. It's happy the proper word. I mean, like I'm, I'm glad with the way things are happening mm-hmm. on this topic evolving, and uh, I'm seeing what I what I see now is actually more countries getting in and and talking over. So I think we might have, might need some more time with the topic becoming more mm-hmm. not just mainstream because mainstream can fade away. We need it to become some kind of classic thing, which becoming. I think some people still think we kind of can deal with this and it will go away. But uh, what we see now. And that will be my main thing. Uh, that it's not just well now the main player is Kremlin, but uh, I believe the problem is that it's not just Kremlin testing it in uh, whether in Ukraine with hacking and face mm-hmm. or uh, in any other countries they can target. It also just the the monster itself that can actually turn on Kremlin and maybe also might be used by other countries or just groups of people or just some private mm. uh, players who will see and I think everyone is closely watching what is happening so in terms that in, in terms of um, 
what is done, what is the reaction, how fast it's coming, mm-hmm. and like how much people are able, you know, to to eat up and not to say something, or are they saying anything? Mm-hmm. And so the problem is that everyone can actually take this, you know, as as a an manual and mm-hmm. just use it whatever they want to. Yeah. So this is why I think it's so important to show whatever whoever wants maybe will use it to show everyone that world is not not like the world is dealing with this and not agreeing to this and here is uh, what will be done mm. to anyone mm. who will try to abuse the information space and the freedoms we have and mm. the democratic institutions and values we have mm. so a positive outlook for the Yay. future oh, that's good well I'm glad to hear that and thank you Margot for, for joining us Um, and uh, and we wish you all the best and hope you'll continue to lead the fight against disinformation. Thank you. Will do. That is it for this month. Thanks for listening. And if you're interested in checking out work that Ivana, Margot, or I myself have done on this topic, check out the show notes. See you next month.